Well, interesting study. A new study published in the UK reveals that children are struggling with low self-esteem. We talked about that last week, self-esteem and Christ-esteem. But they're struggling with low self-esteem, loneliness, or deep levels of unhappiness. A free private counseling hotline for children and teens up to the age of 19 said it was contacted 35,244 times in the last year by children struggling with how to be happy. In the organization's 30-year history, general unhappiness is only a recent trend. Previously, self-harm <clears throat> and eating disorders were among the most common causes for children to contact the health line. But today, unhappiness is strongly connected with the drive to keep up one's image on social media. One expert noted, it is clear that the pressure to keep up with friends and have the perfect life online is adding to the sadness that many young people feel on a daily basis. In 2015, there were 20 major sites that catered exclusively for people sharing content with each other. This has led to a spike in what psychologists call social comparison or estimating how worthwhile we are based on how we think we stack up against other people's online profile. For example, the magazine LA posted a trend of young schoolgirls creating private real accounts of themselves as a way of expressing their true identity separately from the one they portray online. In a recent survey uh, conducted by the Girl Scouts, nearly 74% of girls agreed that other girls tried to make themselves look cooler than they are on social networking sites. That's from Matthew Hussey. Um, the web is quietly creating a generation of miserable kids. And it's, a, it's in a powerful article, and, and unfortunately, it's all too real. And it really speaks to why I always talk about our identity in Christ and knowing who we are in Christ and just reaffirming who we are in Christ and not in this world. Today, we're going to see how this fits into the puzzle of our lives as we continue this series, Enough. I am enough. You know, last week, which we could say was a very encouraging, hopefully an encouraging message, as we talked about the reality that when it's never enough, when we think we're like we never measure up in our effort to build self-image and self-esteem, we need to know that Christ is enough. He is our identity. He needs to be our esteem. And I hope today's message is hopefully very encouraging as well. And I hope today that we'll see, and I was thinking about this as I was, this uh, last night going through this, thinking a lot of these messages are just, just like different shades of blue. They're so close, but they're just a different shade of blue, and today it's encouraging. I want us to see today that when, no matter what we face in life, no matter what we go through in life, Christ is enough. Christ is absolutely enough, no matter what we face in life. The key really is to find our sufficiency in Christ is to surrender to him, totally surrender to him and find our sufficiency. And I've been thinking about that through this series. What are the things, and we may get into this in, in another message, but what are those things when I don't find my sufficiency in Christ, when I turn somewhere else to meet a need in my life that Christ wants to meet? I think we all can relate to that. But today, whatever we face, we need to know that Christ is enough. Take, for instance, the single 40-year-old mother and she's got three kids and, you know, a 15-year-old, 11-year-old, and a 7-year-old. Been married 18 years and her husband up and walks out on her. And what does she do? What does that single mom do? She needs to find her sufficiency in Christ and know that even in that situation, even alone with three kids, in the, in the middle of her life, that Christ is enough. He is sufficient. We were in Wisconsin 
at a church <clears throat> several years and I remember this one young woman came into our church early on and we got to know her and she was in her second marriage at the time and that marriage fell apart and learned something very quickly about this young woman that she just couldn't be alone. That one, one relationship would blow up and fall apart. She'd immediately be into another relationship and, and, uh, and I think she's been on four or five probably husbands at this point um, but, but, the, but the, the, what that really identifies is someone, and we're all there in different ways, but she just could never find her sufficiency in Christ. If she could have just slowed down and said, I need to find everything in Christ, and I need him to lead me into a good, solid, healthy relationship, that would have worked out a lot better for her. And when we learn to find our sufficiency in Christ, things do turn out better for us. That's the reality. The thing is, our lives can be challenged in any number of ways, from relationships to finances to our health. Think about all the different ways that we're, we're challenged in life, that, that we come up against the struggles and issues of this world. And the key is, will I find my sufficiency in Christ or will I look elsewhere? Will I, will I look to other people and relationships? Will I look to substances? Will I look to outright sin? Will I look to money or career or the approval of others, which we saw last week is a very exhausting way to win our life? Do I find my sufficiency in Christ you know, no matter what I go through today? So today, we're gonna go to the Old Testament. We're gonna go and we're gonna look at, at Moses. God calls Moses. We're gonna look at Exodus 3 and 4 in the next two Sundays and talk about this reality and, and, and kind of unpack this issue of finding our sufficiency in Christ no matter what what we face. This is an iconic Bible story. It has several layers that will help us unwrap this issue of finding our sufficiency in Christ. And what you, if you know the story of Moses, you'll remember God comes and calls Moses and Moses has like what? Five excuses or five objections um, why he can't do what God wants him to do. And he phrases them as questions which are very helpful for you and I because these are the questions we wrestle with. His questions are our questions. And we struggle with these questions in our pursuit to find our sufficiency in Christ. One of the things, one of the powerful elements of this story of Moses, that God does something so beautiful in this story. You know what that is? God reveals in the story of Moses his personal name. Tells us who he is personally. And we'll look at that as well today. Um, so he, Moses raises these five objections or excuses. Here is um, our big idea today though, Yahweh. The God of 100 names, we're gonna see this, the God of 100 names has a name to match your need. So whatever you're going through in life this morning, when you leave, hopefully you can identify my biggest struggle right now is this. This is the biggest need in my life and there is a name to match your need. That's just how God is. Christ is enough. So we're gonna jump into the story in Exodus 3 today and the story comes at us really in two ways. There is God's invitation and then there is Moses' objection. But we're just gonna briefly run through the invitation because what we need to know today is simply this. We need to know today, I jumped ahead, uh, no matter what we are going through, God has an invitation for us, he does. Wherever we're at in life, God has an invitation for us. No matter what season of life we are in, God has an invitation for you and me. Look at the text here in Exodus chapter three and we'll just look at the first six verses. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of uh, fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, uh, to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And the first invitation that we all receive from God is the invitation to experience God in all of his glory. The invitation to experience God in all of his glory and all of his splendor. And God wants us to see that about himself. God interrupts Moses' life out there in the wilderness so Moses can experience his glory. In fact, the life story of Moses as he goes on mission with God is that he will encounter and experience the glory of God throughout his life in amazing ways. He will see the glory of God. It's an incredible, uh, boy, to be Moses would be incredible. We may not consider this, but every day God is inviting us to experience him in his glory. He wants us to see his glory all around us. Whether it is a sunrise or a sunset, a thunderstorm or a snowfall, somewhere amidst his marvelous creation or within the context of the relationships of our life, God wants us to experience him in all of his glory. And, and part of the reason for that is that it will remind us that he is the God of a hundred names. We go on in chapter 3. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of the people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a, a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, this, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So the second thing is we are called to, to, to join God in his work. To experience God in all of his glory, but then we have this invitation every day to join God in his work. And just think about this, you live in the world, all the world all around you, you live in a world that God has come and has redeemed everything and everyone to himself. He went to the cross, forgave everyone, redeemed the world to himself. And now he wants us to join him in the mission of taking that good news into the world and letting the world know they have been forgiven, that they are loved, that they have been redeemed by God the Father, that there is a place for them reserved in heaven if they will just receive it. He wants us to join him in spreading his love, demonstrating his character, and sharing the gospel with any and everyone. And God died to redeem this world, but the Bible is clear about this. No one will be saved if they don't hear the gospel, and they won't hear the gospel if we don't speak up. That's kind of a loose, loose translation of Romans 10. But people aren't going to know about the good news if we don't tell him we're on mission with God. And that's the invitation we have been given. And I'll tell you, there's not a greater purpose you can find in your life than being on mission with the Lord. Finally, Exodus 3, verse 10 again. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And this is the third part of our invitation that God gives to each one of us. And it's simply this, to know God in his sufficiency.
To know God in his sufficiency. And God says, I'm going to have you lead the Israelites. Uh, there's got to be close to a million people. I can't remember. The, I, we went through this one time, the number of people. I think there's close to a million of them. Lead them out of Egypt. What a task for someone to do. And, um, and you'll, you'll only do this, Moses, through my sufficiency. It's the invitation that we all have every day to know God in his sufficiency. To know God in whatever we're going through, whatever season of life we're going through, to know that Christ is enough. And I don't need anything else if I have Christ. How beautiful is that? So let's go to... <clears throat> Moses' five questions here. We're going to see today, see, Moses is invited to know God in all his sufficiency, but he reluctantly joins God on mission. He's reluctant to confront Pharaoh. He's reluctant to lead the Israelites out of bondage. He's extremely reluctant, and we're going to see that, and, and we'll understand why he's reluctant to some degree, and why are we sometimes reluctant as well. We're going to do, there's five questions here. We'll look at two of them today and then three of them next week as we go through these five questions that Moses raises, powerful questions. And the, the first two are very common and very powerful questions that we all deal with all the time. In, cha, in chapter three, verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, God said, but I will be with you. This shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. And there you see that question. We've all asked it, who am I? Well, who am I? Who am I in the context of leading these Israelites out of Egypt? And the first question Indeed, is an important one. It is a question about his identity. You could say right at the outset here that Moses is having an identity crisis. He's having a bit of an identity crisis, and I'll show you what I mean by that. Uh, why would Moses have an identity crisis? It could be that he had some father issues. I was intrigued thinking about that this week. So Moses, you know the story of Moses when he was a little baby, right? Pharaoh was killing all the Hebrew baby boys, and so Moses' mother... Um, and father, I, can't, I think it was his mother did it. Maybe they did it together. They put him in a basket of reeds on the Nile River and he floated down there. They, I don't know what they thought would happen, but they were just trying to find a way to protect him. And uh, so anyway, Pharaoh's daughter finds him and she takes him in and she basically has compassion on this little Hebrew boy and takes him and raises him in uh, the, pa the, the palace of Pharaoh his entire life up till he's 40. And so I got to thinking about that. So here's this young man, Moses, and somewhere along the time of his, he turns 40, somewhere along the line, Moses realized, hey, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. And I don't, you, you wonder if Moses ever knew his earthly dad. You have context in, in the scripture of him having contact with his father-in-law, but never with his father. It's an interesting thing. And I'll share more about that next week, but it's kind of an interesting thing when when even when you would think in the Exodus, when he's leading all of them out of, out of Egypt, you'd think there would be some like reunion with his mom and dad, you know, like, hey, mom, dad, it's me. But there's never any reference to that at all. And you just kind of have to wonder what, <clears throat> what he thought of his identity. And I don't want to read too much into this, other than to say that when he reaches adulthood, he comes to the, the point of realizing Pharaoh is not his father. In fact, he doesn't really know who his real father is, most likely. So we fast forward 40 years. 
he's a grown man and we'll see some more signs of this identity crisis. He sees, he sees an Egyptian mistreating a fellow Jew and he gets angry at that. He cannot handle anymore the way Pharaoh is treating the Jewish people. He stands up and defends this fellow Jew and he kills the Egyptian. Well, then the next day he realizes that people are aware that he killed the Egyptian and now the home that he grew up in with Pharaoh, he's afraid of Pharaoh and he's running from Pharaoh now with a target on his back and he runs into the wilderness and he spends 40 years out in the wilderness and just just, just think of the dynamics of that. You grew up here all these years with Pharaoh and eventually learned he's not your dad. Now you're running from Pharaoh. Maybe not even knowing who your real father is in the process. Hebrews 11 gives a little insight into the character of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, he was looking to the reward. So Moses leaves his comfy home in the palace and he heads to the hardship of the wilderness. It would seem that Moses would have willingly taken all the Israelites with him at that time. Hey, let's all leave, let's go. And, um, but that was not God's plan. And so Moses spends 40 years in the wilderness marrying, starting a family and living a normal working man's life. Now 40 years later and God comes to Moses and says to Moses, okay Moses, it's time. Remember when you wanted to lead all the Israelites out of Egypt? It's time, let's go do it. And Moses is like, a time out, wait a minute, who am I? <laughs> He's having this identity crisis. And why would he have such reluctance and such an identity crisis? Well, his number one flaw is he's still trusting in himself. 40 years later, he was trusting in himself. He's like, yeah, let's do this. I can do this. Look who I am. I was raised in royalty. I'm the son of Pharaoh. Look who I am. They'll respect me. They'll respect my integrity to, to stand up for what's right. So he's still trusting in himself. And so when I speak of an identity crisis, I'm thinking of the fact that Moses no longer sees himself as the son of Pharaoh. The stature that came with who he was or who he thought he was is now gone. Moses is now really just a nobody. And for 40 years, that's kind of been pounded into him. You're just a nobody. Now the truth of the story and Moses himself is exactly like what we saw when we studied David and Goliath. The truth is, did you know that Moses is like David, a type of Christ? And we're not going to go into all those details, but Moses, like David, is a type of Christ. So his life is not insignificant. He's not a nobody in any way. And you'll see a lot of, you can see a lot of these things. But just as, just as Moses was called to lead the Israelites out of bondage and slavery to Pharaoh, Christ came and led us out of bondage and slavery to sin. And so there is this great comparison between Moses the deliverer and Christ the the deliverer in fact just as jesus christ came to the earth right and he readied himself for his public ministry how he spent 40 days out in the wilderness and how did god prepare moses to be the great deliverer he spent 40 years 40 years out in the wilderness sometimes you may look at your life and think boy what's god doing in my life how's he using you just never you know god's built God's always working on us and sometimes he works on us for a long time to prepare us for a mission that he has for us. And when the time's right, he'll call us and we just need to say yes and surrender to his call. So now, here we are 40 years later and Moses feels 
no longer feels qualified. Moses is like, see, 40 years old, earlier, Moses thought he could do it. He was ready to do it. He thought he was qualified to do it. And God says, no, no. And now 40 years later, when he feels unqualified and feels like, I can't do that, and God says, now you're ready. Now you're ready because you can't trust yourself. If you're going to trust yourself, this is going to flop. You need to trust me. And again, we see the type of Christ here. Where did Moses live? He lived in what? The palace, right? Lived in the palace. I had to leave the palace and go live in the wilderness to prepare himself to deliver the Israelites. And Christ was in glory, right? And Christ left glory to come to what? To the wilderness of earth, what? To lead us out of bondage and slavery. So Moses as a type of Christ, here's the key. Uh, and we're seeing this in our study right now, walking as Jesus walked. He had to surrender to two things, the authority of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly what Christ did. Christ came to earth, emptied himself of his divine privilege, didn't play his God card, but he, he, he did everything on earth through the authority of the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how he did everything he did. That's hard to comprehend sometimes when you look at some of the things he did. But that's how we operated. That's how you and I operate today. We can do anything God calls us to do if we surrender to him the authority of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that takes us then to Moses' question and God's response. Moses asks, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God responds to Moses. And note that God's response to Moses is a promise. I will be with you. God's response to Momus is a promise. I will be with you. What does he mean when he says, I will be with you? Well, he's saying, it's not about you, Moses. It's about me. So I'll be with you. So it's not about you. And whether you feel qualified or whether you think you have the, the, you know, the, uh, you know, the resume or whether you, whatever you think you need, doesn't matter. It's about me, not about you. And also, I will be enough. I will be enough. You can do this because I will be everything you need me <clears throat> to be. If you have me, you have everything you need. I am the God of a hundred names and I have a God. I have a name to match your need. And you will find that out as you go through this process with me. So, that's the first question. Who am I? Let's look at the second question here. Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Second big question, we ask it all the time, right? Okay, God, who are you? And why does Moses ask this question? Because God just brought him there. God just says, well, Moses, it's not about you. I will be with you. I will do it through you. And so Moses is like, okay, well, fine. Well, who are you? <laughs> how, how do I know you're going to be enough? Who are you? And that's the question that Moses comes back with to God, the Father. And the thing we have to realize is that we, we won't truly know who we are until we know who God is. He is the answer to my identity crisis. And I think about this today. I think, t think about a child who's taken away at a young age and, and raised parentless, has no parents, is an orphan, just never has any parents. Think about the identity crisis they will struggle with, of wanting to know who their parents are. And that's really the story of anybody who doesn't know Christ because here's the reality. When we were born, 
right? We were created originally, created in God's image, but Satan came and stole our identity. So when we're born today, we are born without that spiritual identity. We don't know who we are, really, truthfully. We might know who we are according to our parents on this earth, but we really don't know who we are. Satan has stolen our identity in Christ. And so people struggle with that. They spend their whole life trying to figure out the purpose, the meaning. You know, why am I here? What's the reason for my life? Trying to find fulfillment. Everybody in life struggles with that so incredibly much. That's why you see people all the time that have become incredibly successful. They've conquered the world. They made loads of money. They're wildly famous. And yet they say, but who am I? I've got this, uh, you know, this, uh, <clears throat> this uh, subscription thing I do, and it sends me, you know, illustrations from just from all over the, you know, world and from articles and such, and they just send illustrations that help you, you know, in your in your in your message, help you relate to things going on in the world. They dig stuff up, and I can't tell you the number of illustrations I have from celebrities that ask the same question: Who am I? Why am I here? I'm searching for more. I've, I've, I've had all the success and like it's never enough. You just, that's the reality. Why? Because we don't know who we are if we don't know who we are in Christ. So what happens next in the story of Moses is this beautiful thing is that God comes and tells us who he is. Tells us his personal name. Did you know that God has a personal name? He's the answer to identity crisis, yes. And then God has a personal name. Just like I am Bill and you are Joanne and you are Nathan and you are Heather, and you are Evan, and you are Tootie, you are Titus, and you are Kevin. God has a personal name. We can call him by his personal name, and we see this name throughout the Old Testament. Let's read it in uh, Exodus 3, 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God identifies himself as I am. He identifies himself as I am. I am that I am is exactly what he says. Now that's not his personal name, but that is the basis for his personal name. The, 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 the Hebrew word used for I am is the word that's at the base of his personal name. Now, that can maybe sound a bit odd if you don't understand what God is saying. So God's saying his personal name is is really Yahweh. That's, the, that's his personal name. And throughout the Old Testament, when you see the Lord capitalized, that's Yahweh. And I was, as I was going through this, I was really struck by the fact that we, we copy stuff, you know, uh, like in a PowerPoint and you copy and paste stuff. It doesn't, always, it doesn't always, unless you deliberately go back through, it won't just copy the capitalization of Lord. Really convicting to me. I gotta watch that as I do that. Um, because Lord, whenever you see Lord capitalized in the Old Testament, that is his personal name. That is Yahweh. That's, that's the name Yahweh. It was four Hebrew vowels, Y-H-W-H. There were 
or four Hebrew consonants. There were no vowels in the Hebrew. Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. That's how it's been um, expressed. Yahweh is his personal name. And we can see this in the text we read earlier. There are three instances where it has Lord in all caps. Yahweh equals I am. Yahweh equals I am. Here's a great verse. I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. A lot of translations will say I am the Lord, um, capitalized. But Yahweh is actually his Hebrew name wherever you see the capitalization of Lord throughout the Old Testament. What I want us to connect with here is the personal name of God. And what does this mean? What does Yahweh mean? Yahweh simply means I am the self-existent God. Yahweh is the self-existent God. Just think about that. When God tells Moses that I am that I am, he is saying he is the self-existent God. Think about how powerful that name and definition is. Think about what that conveys that God is the self-existent God. Just think about that. We only exist because he exists. We only exist because first he created us and second, he literally holds the entire universe together. Colossians 1 speaks of Yahweh. This would be Christ. Remember, Yahweh is a trinity. He's, he's three gods in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. Colossians 3.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Or the New King James, in him all things consist. He keeps the world from blowing apart. That is... Yahweh, the self-existent God. Everything exists because He exists. That's just incredible. Nothing else in creation can make that claim, of course. He goes on in verse 15, building on His name, He says, I am the faithful God and the forever God. I'm the faithful God in the sense that I am the God of generations past. God said, also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has sent me to you. I'm the God of generations past. I'm a faithful God. And I think we have all can recognize that in our own lives, in our own families. Our God is a faithful God. He is. We don't always like what he does or what he puts us through. But in the end, God's faithful. If we just trust him, he'll be faithful. He's the faithful God and then he is the forever God. This is my name forever, he says. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I'm the God of generations past. I'm the God that's in this burning bush right now. And I'm the God of generations future. That's who I am. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's our God. How, how, how incredible is that? The self-existent God. And self-existence in the sense we've talked about this in the past, he exists outside of time. I just watched a huge debate about this, whether God exists outside of time or not this week on the internet. It was fascinating. But I'm just going to tell you, God exists outside of time. He does. Here's a great verse. Kind of, I think this kind of shows just this idea that God exists, that here we are in time in the world. In the beginning, God created time, space, and matter, and we're here on the earth, and God exists outside of that and watches us, and he sent his son into time. At the right time, he sent his son. But he exists outside of that. He sees the beginning from the end. He sees this whole thing. We can't even comprehend that. And in John eight fifty eight, 
Jesus having a conversation with the religious leaders, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Not before Abraham was, I was. No, before Abraham was, I am. I always exist in this same present moment. Eternity. Eternity is a moment outside of time, and I exist there, and I am. And I'm the self-existent God. And I created time and put you in time, and when time is done, I'll bring you to eternity, and you'll exist with me in this self-existing moment. Before Abraham was, I am. I am right now. I was. I am. I will be. How beautiful. How beautiful is that? The thing about I am here is, he goes on, is that it's this, I am is the God of a hundred names. What you have throughout the Old Testament then is you take the name Yahweh and you'll take it and you'll find this throughout the Old Testament that he takes the name Yahweh and then he pairs it with another trait, usually a masculine noun. Sometimes it's a verb, it can be a masculine verb, but usually it's a masculine um, noun and he pairs the two together and he comes up with a singular Descriptive word of God. Here's a handful of examples. Yahweh bore the Lord creator. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And you combine Lord and creator. You have Yahweh bore the Lord creator. That's his name. The self-existent God. Yahweh Nissi, the Lord our banner. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Yahweh Ra, the Lord my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Lord and shepherd, one complete, singular, descriptive name for God. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord that heals. We can go all through this. Yahweh Suri, the Lord, our rock. Yahweh Elohim, the the eternal one. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. Yahweh Oz, the Lord, our strength. Yahweh Shama, the Lord is there. Yahweh and this is a tough one for me to get out, Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely and this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord will provide. All of these are unique, descriptive names of God. And um, So here's what God's kind of trying to tell us today. Uh, you know, you hear that name, my, I am that I am. You can say, my name is I am. And that can sound really like odd if you don't hear the blank at the end. Can you hear the blank? The God's putting a blank at the end of that. He's saying, I am. And then you fill in the blank. What do you need? I am. Now, I'm not saying whatever you want, God is. But whatever you need, there is a name, I'm sure, to match that need. I am I am hope. In fact, I think I put a whole list here. I am joy, I am hope, I am peace, I am kindness and love and mercy and grace and healing and comfort and compassion and consolation and empathy and defense and protection and deliverance and strength and endurance and power and faith and purpose and wisdom and guidance and righteousness and provision. I am. What do you need God to be? Right now in your life, I am your defense, I am your protection, I am your deliverance, I am your Moses, I am your endurance, I am your power, I am your purpose in life, I am the self-existent God, everything you need is wrapped up in me, I am enough, I am sufficient. And that's the best way to appreciate this. You know, 
<clears throat> we talk about how many names God has, you know, and, and I can't even tell you how many names specifically God has, Yahweh, you know, those unique names for God. Um, uh, I mean, I'm pretty confident there's over, well over 100 names for God in the Bible and there's just different ways to look at God's name. Even when you think of the I am, you have all the I am statements in the New Testament by Christ. I am what the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and life. All the great I am statements, statements by, by Jesus. Um, one, one account I read, there are 956 unique names and titles for God in the Bible. And I, can't, I couldn't verify all 956 of them. I'm sorry. I glanced through the list and it's pretty fascinating to look and to see. I'm just here to tell you there is a name to match your need. Listen to a story a minute of Kate Bowler. Kate Bowler is an associate professor of history of Christianity in North America at Duke Divinity School. Kate has terminal cancer and has written a new memoir, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lives I've Loved. In a recent interview on NPR's Fresh Air, Bowler was asked about how she managed to feel loved by God even in the aftermath of major cancer surgery. And listen to what she says. Bowler said that of of course she wanted a long life with her husband and son. But she also discovered what she called a gift. She realized how fragile life is for everyone. And that realization connected her with the pain of other people. Here are Bowler's own words. It's like you notice the tired mom in the grocery store who's just like struggling to get the thing off the top shelf while her kid screams. And you notice how very tired that person looks at the bus stop. And then, of course, all the people in the cancer clinic around me. That felt like I was cracked open and I could see everything really clearly for the first time. And the other bit was not feeling nearly as angry as I thought I would. And I mean, granted, like I had been pretty angry at times, but it was mostly that I felt God's presence. And it was less like, here are some important spiritual truths I know intellectually about God. There are four of them. I have a PowerPoint presentation. No, it was instead more like the way you'd feel a friend or like someone holding you. I just didn't feel quite as scared. I just felt loved by God. Whatever we're going through, can I suggest that God has a personal name that reveals how he can, how he will meet you in your need at the present moment. He simply can. In all our struggles, in all our challenges, in all our tasks, he calls us to. He will meet us wherever we are. Jesus exemplified this in his earthly ministry. Jesus always went to where people were. He didn't wait for people to come to him. He met them where they were. God will meet you where you are. For instance, take a young couple called to the missionary field by God. If they, follow, if they surrender to God and follow him there, you know what? God will meet them on the mission field and meet every need they could ever exist. If you're battling cancer like Kate Bowler, you can know that God will show up and walk that journey with you. I know God indwells us. I understand that. I'm just saying that God will reveal himself to us in our obedience, our trust, our faith, our surrender, our follow through. We will, like Moses, come to know God more personally and more intimately and more deeply. God is calling us all this morning then to know that I am blank, to personalize it. I am your blank. Ultimately, we can put in that blank, I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. And, and I love this, that God backs up his promise, his promise to Moses, his response is, I will be with you. And God backs that up with two things, his character and his name. 
there is a name to match every need. There's a name that says, I am enough. I am sufficient. I will be with you. So we have the invitation. God invites us, among other things, to know him more deeply and to know the fullness of his sufficiency. And then we have two key questions. Who am I and who are you? And I won't know who I am and if I don't know who God is. That's the truth. And then there's these four Just these four wrap-up observations. God is a personal God. Take that away today. God is a personal God, has a personal name, is involved in your life personally this morning. Just know that. And then God has the answer or is the answer to your identity crisis. If you struggle with your identity and who you are in this world, just know it's not found in this world. It's found in Christ. He is the answer to our identity crisis. And um, and then number three, um, God has a name to match our need whatever we're struggling with today there's a name to match our need and finally number four christ is always enough just another shade of blue this morning but christ is always enough and i would just challenge you in that sense i would just challenge you you can you personalize a name for god to meet your person present need i'm sure that name exists in some form Just think about what what do I need? If I came up with a name for God that spoke to a need in my life and I wrote that out, personalized it, I'll bet you you would find a name like that that exists in some form. Let me leave you with this. In his book, Identity Matters, Christian author Terry Wardle tells a story from his childhood. Terry had a hand-me-down, fixed-up, big blue girl's swim bike. One day his mom finally let him venture outside his own neighborhood. Wardle tells what happened next. I had broken free of the constraints of my little neighborhood and now I was on my own experience to a grand adventure. I felt like a somebody even on a big blue girl's swim bike with saddlebags. As I crossed the railroad tracks and then rumbled over a small creek on a single lane bridge, the bridge made of wood and steel was no big deal. But on that day long ago, it became a bridge too far. As I began to cross, four teenage boys stepped onto the far side of the bridge I intended to pass on by. They had other things in mind. One of the boys grabbed my handlebars and spun my bike to an abrupt stop. Here, Uh, Hey, where do you think you're going? He snarled as another boy chimed in. Yeah, kid, where are you going? Instantly, I knew they intended to beat me up. I was petrified. I couldn't fight or break free to run, so I stood there frozen. Suddenly, one of the bullies asked, What's your name? I answered him in a high-pitched, predolescent, quivering voice, Terry Wardle. The three remaining teenagers got a bit silent and looked at one another nervously. Are you related to Tom Wardle? Tom was a much older cousin who happened to play defensive end on the high school football team, but I lied and told them Tom was my brother. They immediately backed off. One of my boys straightened out my shirt and started saying, hey, hey, we were just funny, you no harm, you're a great kid, and if anyone ever gives you any trouble, you tell us and we'll take care of you. That was a formative day for me. I learned that simply being Terry Wardle was not enough to be respected, accepted, and safe. In the panic of the moment when the cry for the safety was loudest, I lied. Yes, everything did turn out okay, but I had to pretend to be something I was not or they would have roughed me up. I had learned that this is an unsafe and ungenerous world and that's attaining any degree of success in life would demand much more than simply being me. And I just want you to know today, the God of 100 names, that's, that's who you are. That's your identity. Who, who God is is who you are. He indwells you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. 
Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are enough. And I know each one of us in this room in a unique way, and it relates to me, we struggle with this all the time to find our sufficiency in you, to find out that you are enough for everything we face. You are enough. And help us, Lord, come to terms with those two questions. Who am I and who are you? And may I know who I am because I know who you are. God, give you the rest of this day. Send everyone home with your grace and your mercy and your peace and your glory. Speak peace into everyone's home and into everyone's families today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.